you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy. And you tell me. Red Button Conversation Set Free Red Button About 150 million Indonesians are currently online on social media. In other words, 56% of the country's massive population. Indonesia has one of the largest digital audiences in the world, which is good news for businesses who plan to market their offerings through social media. However, Indonesia's social media audience isn't just large, it's also active. The average Indonesian spends 3 hours and 26 minutes logged on to social media every day. For comparison, the global average is 2 hours and 22 minutes. 88% of all Indonesian internet users, about 132 million people, actively use YouTube. Other research suggests that up to 47% of Indonesians access YouTube every day for about 30 minutes on average. This means that YouTube content creators are becoming increasingly influential through social media. By March 2019 this year, 200 Indonesian channels had gained over 1 million subscribers, a five times year-on-year -year increase compared to 2018. Also in 2019, one Indonesian content creator became the first channel in Southeast Asia to hit 10 million subscribers. Facebook-owned WhatsApp and Japanese platform Line are the two most popular instant communication channels amongst Indonesians. During the third quarter of 2017, about 40% of Indonesians, at least 100 million people, are using WhatsApp, and it'll be even more now, two years later. Meanwhile, Line had 90 million Indonesian users. These numbers just keep moving upwards. some conversation please thank you now are you sitting comfortably good then we'll begin hey ho and welcome to red button which is the sort of sister show of uh, box 39 the sort of sister that comes back for university now and again and uh, makes you a nice cup of tea so anyway we're on red button tonight here on colm radio 106.6 fm and we've got a special guest and it's a guest you've heard before we're delighted to have it back she always gives great value not that we don't pay her of course uh, and it's jill ball hello jill i'm lovely to see you and you're here really because uh, you just are an expert in my mind on something that is so big in our lives today and and everyone uses and everyone enjoys and that's social media yeah and so what do we mean by social media? Is it a, a brand new thing, social media? Well, it's easy to think so, isn't it? Because, you know, all the platforms are quite new. They've, we can all remember when they didn't exist, or at least those of us our age can. I can. Yeah. 
But is it really that new? Is it is it new just because does it mean social media has began to exist once uh, techni- information technology and computerization and Wi-Fi is it, is that what we mean by the social media the, the the bundle that came with that or or has there been any social media before that? Would you say? Well, human beings are social animals, aren't they? And social media is all about building community, and we've been in communities pretty much for as long as we can remember. You know, you sort of look back, hunter gatherers were in communities. Yeah. And so you could say the first social media was maybe the cave paintings that yeah. that human beings created to communicate ideas and aspirations. And, and so they, they, they drew a picture on the wall and, uh, and that was a message for the next bunch that would come in the next year. Maybe they were the first infographics, Bill. <laughs> it could well have been, Ian. tabloid print on your, <laughs> you on your television. It's I'm like not ma- sure it's quite the same, but... It's like magpie and media, you could argue, uh, goes back a long, long way. Could you even argue that uh, social media began or, or continues with the, with the telephone? The humble, old-fashioned telephone? Oh, even older than that. I mean, the, I was doing a little bit of research before the programme, and um, the telegraph was invented in 1792, I think. So, I mean, that dominated the 19th century, didn't it? The, yeah. the telegraph and then the growth of the railway. The two sort of went hand in hand because the telegraph yeah. lines would go alongside railway stations yeah. and then you'd have yeah. repeater stations sending the signals on. So places like Alice Springs in Australia were repeater stations. Oh, of course. But, and so you're using pictorials, I guess, before language development was as it is now. Um, you're using that as a means of communication, possibly as a means of information, influence. And it's that influence bit, isn't it, that has progressed and that we, I guess, we view as being social media now. And the speed, telegraph, it's one person communicating and then it would be spelling for influence and um, the person who tells the story is the influencer, a bit like the writing of history. I mean, you could say you could say some of the first social influencers were maybe travelling salesmen, people going or peddlers going from community to community, spreading the news, sharing the information, telling the gossip, all of those kinds of things. You improved. It hasn't changed, has it? Really, if you think about it, people are still selling their stories in lots of different ways, and the visual thing's really, really powerful. Black and whites, in you know, even before sound, it it was being shown to a relatively small group. Sure. So I guess, I mean, for me, it's this speed of influence, this spreading of the message so quickly. And to the way that we talk. And I guess after the war, the the growth of technology, the development of computers, it's just every year it's exponential growth, hasn't it? There's not been so much change. I mean, even in the last five years, you know, a business five years ago have a website. So we've got to blame uh, Babbage and Turing, have we? Maybe. <laughs> but you, We've got a lot to thank them for as well. The, the, the actual phrase uh, that we all use, social media, I don't think I'd really heard that phrase or used that phrase longer than five years ago. No, you're probably right. I mean, Facebook sort of... So my husband and I went travelling in 2003-04 and that was really before Facebook was used. We were sending emails back to... But when I went travelling, which, OK, wasn't <laughs> as far around the world as you two were, they didn't have computers. No. You know, when I when I was at university, we got pulled back in to have a computing, a, a single computing lesson. Yeah. You know, was it those, I mean, I, those punch cards? No, no we, we had, I'm lying a bit because we had done using it printed words on paper. Mm. You know, I thought they did that in newspapers all the time, but there you go. Stunning. Well, let's, let's get back to looking at the social media because what we really want to talk about for this show, having discovered that social media is maybe not, is it becoming the tool the go-to tool for our political masters is, uh, and, and who uses it for po- political motives? Who uses, we're all political beings. Do we all use social media for political purposes? Well, to sort of answer your first question, probably the first real social media site was back in 1997. So that's quite a long time ago. And it was going to be the Friends Reunited site and MySpace, mm-hmm. those sorts. Yeah. So blogging came about those sorts of times but the minute you've got people together having pictures of their dinner and people are showing what their kids are up to and then they're moaning about their boss or their and very very quickly someone will make a statement about politics or they're showing information about a cause that they believe in so of course everybody's using no filter you know everything comes out 
through his two are going to be run through Twitter, which is terrifying. Well, while he's lying in bed, usually. First thing is for the phone, doesn't it? But actually, most worry. people most people go for their phone when they wake up because most lots of people have their calling them. So you know, well, unfortunately, he's not the only one. All I can say is they're not throwing their alarm hard enough at the wall. <laughs> so we've established. So okay, so we've we've established then that the social media originated with the cave, possibly now. Uh, are only just beginning to be realised and used by those people who really have power. It's no longer just a sort of um, MySpace, which was to to launch bands, wasn't it? And, you know, that's a political career, even to launch Third World War. Yeah. What an evolution. So that's evolved very quickly, but evolution doesn't stop with the last thing, does it? The king, the partnership of them both using the radio to create their own propaganda for the war effort. And I mean, we all sort of, you know, you can think about the way that um, Germany, the way the Nazis used propaganda. But I mean, they learned that from the British. <laughs> you know, it was one of the things the British did across the empire. You know, you go around telling the world you're Great Britain and people start to think it's actually a descriptor rather than a geographic yeah. identifier. Yeah. But it's quite interesting because you, when you go back to that period in history, what, you're t- what, what you instantly go to is the, the um, news or social spread that gets greatest dissemination cool, sure. with greatest speed. Sure. Because it's all about punch and information now, isn't it? Yeah. And that's where that's where we've changed. Newspapers have lost the edge because it's mm. out of date. It's out of date at the moment it's printed. It's a bit like um, books mm. of information. They're, they're, they're basically dead at the, at the point they come off the press because new stuff has happened. Um, so I, I get what you're saying. But it just makes me feel really uncomfortable when it's speed, influence, and not necessarily used for anything other than nefarious purposes. Yeah, and often mm. uh, sound bites uh, without much um, analysis, and uh, just some—I uh, think it's something in 2017, something like 60 percent of adults um, read their news on social media. It's probably more now. So. The word power is quite um, can be quite disturbing, as Bill mentioned, because uh, the power of it, people are influenced by it without actually perhaps analysing or taking things further or questioning things. Well, we're going to uh, move on with but this because that, that comes later. Yeah. I think it's absolutely fascinating what you're saying, Mike. This idea of power, mm-hmm. and we'll look and see mm-hmm. whether that power is used well or not so well. But first of all, why don't we always ask our guests to bring in their music. So, Jill, you brought in for us uh, our next piece of music. Uh, a piece of music by Joni Mitchell. Can you tell us about that music? Why Why do you like it or dislike it? I don't know why you chose uh, it. Joni Mitchell's amazing. But it's it's also a real prophetic song about loss, I think, when you hear the words. And what's it called? Big Yellow Taxi. Parking lot. I said, don't it always 
seem to go But you don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot They paid paradise, put up a parking lot <laughs> On the 22nd of May earlier this year, the government moved to block the uploading and downloading of photographs on social media platforms and online messaging apps after six people were killed and about 200 injured in riots in Jakarta that followed the release of the country's official election results. Prabowo, the losing candidate who is thought to have orchestrated the violence, issued a statement urging all sides to refrain from violence. Now, six months later, he has a seat in the cabinet as defence minister. Coordinating political, legal and security affairs minister Wiranto said at a press conference, to avoid incitement and false news from spreading to the wider public, we are temporarily limiting access to certain features on social media. Minister of Communication and Information Technology Rudy Antara said, We know that the modus operandi of spreading false news is by posting videos, memes and photos on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. These posts are screen captured and go viral on messaging apps like Line and WhatsApp. He went on to say that the move was necessary because fake videos and photos triggered an emotional response. He added that taking down the false news instead of limiting access altogether would be ineffective given the tens of millions of social media and WhatsApp users in Indonesia. He also emphasized that the measures would be temporary but did not say when the limits would be lifted. And so it was. 24 hours later the block had been lifted and Indonesian social media life returned to normal. This week's special guest, Jill Bell. What? All right. Uh, it's Ball. Jill Ball. It says Bell on the script. I'm just saying. All right. Red button. Pressurizing our friends to appear on the show. And welcome back to all of you. This is Red Button. This is Calm Radio, 106.6 FM. And welcome to the show which we like to think of as a sort of an extended WhatsApp group across northeast Essex in which you're all invited and you're all uh, our honorary members. And so we are talking about uh, social media. And uh, we've got our Facebook. It's our page is humming there. We're at uh, Box39. We're on Twitter. And Mike's been tweeting all over the place in the corner of the uh, room and out in the car park. <laughs> Somebody stop him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've got our guest, Jill. And uh, let's begin to come out with some pointers about... Oral history, the oral tradition. Uh, from the... So, should we really be surprised that social media is... People who are sort of lifting their skirts up in horror, it's kind of a bit... Um... If you're a politician, from you know, all, all our local MPs have Facebook pages. If you don't get uh, blocked from, just make a statement there to you local MPs. If you block people from your social media, so what do we think about this age of Trump and Twitter? I think, I think in a way that's a problem. And they became the master of spin. You know, Alistair Campbell was absolutely phenomenal at controlling the media of politicians using it in the same way before. I think politicians had always used the media. I think in part a political party was able to use the media for its advantage. Can I just step in there? Because I, before I forget the manipulating, I believe, was the soundbite. Sure. But also almost become a thing of the past. Sure. But the printed press is fighting that in many media. They've got very strong desire to control the flow of information and people 
do if you and they will have Facebook accounts, they'll have Twitter accounts. So if you follow any newspaper media advertising, and social media advertising is incredibly powerful and very influential. It was certainly very influential during the Brexit referendum and during the elections. Uh, you can go back through my history and you can find what I wrote, you know, assuming I haven't deleted a record of that advert having appeared even an hour later. So if you just think about that for a minute, if I pay for advertising in London, was people being targeted with advertising that there was then no proof or record that it appeared and only certain people saw. So if you haven't watched The Great Hack on Netflix, I urge every listener to watch it. And if you haven't watched the TED Talk by Carol Cadwallader on what happened in 2016, you need to watch it. Again, it's a 15-minute sh- uh, slot on YouTube. But um, it's really important to understand how political advertising is being used on social media, and I think people really need to be aware. Thank you for that. I, during during um, Adrian's little bit, uh, we were talking about the press and part of the fight back and my comment was that because of sub-editors and editors that the mm. the papers are in many ways almost the equivalent of a peer review article there the news is checked what is written is checked by somebody and checked by somebody else before it's printed so you almost know what you're getting you know it's going to be of a quality and of if you like a level of truth Whereas if Joe Bloggs typed something, and you were smiling at me when I said that, because you know what's coming, that's almost where this false news comes from. But I think we're now at a point where even the printed press, because they're behind, so anything that's printed in the press tomorrow is responding to the news up until 11 o'clock tonight. So some of the press missed what happened with with, um, Harry and Meghan last night. It was a massive story all over social media last night, but some of the press will what happened in the last 12 hours. So you're getting less and less factual reporting and far more opinion reporting as fact. And that, and that happens even more online and it happens on reputable news sites as well as Joe Blogs. And in fact, often the Joe Blog sites may well be more um, conscientious in their opinion and the fact that they're trying to present than perhaps the press are, which so, is a worry. And when you say opinion, you're, all, you're almost meaning a reflex piece. It's, it's sure. a reaction sure. to something mm. rather than a well-thought-out, researched article yeah. which might take a day or two days. If we're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. So there are a few key words that have been hanging around, um, one of which is amplification. What, what is meant by that? It's the continual and constant broadcast of a single message in, on all platforms and in all ways. So you Let's know, get Brexit done. That, there you go. That's, that's a classic example, isn't it? Yeah. And so that message cut through beyond pretty much every other message. So people didn't care that p- perhaps the Prime Minister lied to the Queen. People don't care that perhaps the, Queen, the Prime Minister hid from the media in a fridge. You know, all those details about the way that... It poli- to be a very big fridge. It was a very was. big fridge. Oh, sorry, I'm <laughs> <telling. Venice. laughs> He did run away from the media. But people just forgot that because all they remembered, they'd been... It was, you know, neuro-linguistic programming is very powerful. Take back control. All of those things, you know, they're using America great again. All those things, they resonate with people because yeah. they're really easy to remember and everything else just becomes Build the wall was another one yeah Yeah. because in the old days it used to be john cleese walking across your cinema screen opening bottles of a certain brand of tonic i don't remember and the sound it made (laughs) (laughs) there's there's another one isn't there uh fake news which i think the what we all think fake news means we all think it means quite a variety of things it doesn't mean one thing does it no because fake news to some people will mean it's a lie some people will think fake news means um, it's the truth which is being turned into a lie. Some, it's very confusing what fake news means. What does it mean? I think you've described it quite well, actually, Bill. I think um, So let's talk about something less, maybe, con- well, not as controversial, but say if we talk about climate change. Yeah. So, so even 10 years ago, and people were having to provide balance when they 
talked about climate change. So you'd have scientists going, this is happening, we have scientific data. And then for balance, you'd have somebody else who probably didn't have a scientific background saying, no, of course, it isn't happening because they had to have two opinions. Well, now we clearly understand that climate change is happening. All the data is right. And there's an absolute minority of scientists or any other people who have got any credibility who say it's not. So fake news would be if the BBC gave a full hour to somebody saying that climate change wasn't happening and allowed a whole documentary, because we know it's not true. That's a, probably a very sort of easy way of describing it. Yeah, but what they do then is they broadcast a tweet from a certain man who looks rather, rather orange, who sits <laughs> in an office somewhere in the United States of America. So in effect, mm. the, same, the same thing is achieved. Yeah, but it's also yeah. fake news is an, uh, a, a, a sort of phrase that is used that have no meaning other than say don't believe this. You say this is fake news. Mm, you know that infamous photograph of Nigel Farage standing in front of that billboard um, saying that Turkey was going to join the EU, and a massive sort of crowd of refugees basically behind him, and that advert was used to promote the leaving of the European Union and it was a complete lie. But- Come back to you on something because I want to know, or I've, I've got an idea where of civility uh, between people or is that just something, my, my, miscon- my misconception? No, I think sadly, sadly yes. I think everything has become black and white, yes and no, good and evil, black and white. We've lost, possibly, begin to have, even the kind of conversation we're having now would be very difficult to have. The language that the listeners can hear the tone of voice and the, the intent behind it. They can hear the slight chuckles in the voice or the, you know, when you're kind of having a little dig at somebody. You can hear that and see that. When something's written down, the other person eaten because sometimes you take things the wrong way. So doesn't that just go, just go to show how dangerous? I, don't, I agree. Mike, you yeah. want to come in here? Well, just uh, there was a uh, survey after the last uh, French elections uh, of the uh, political news was actually inaccurate. That's a hell of a lot. So how do we distinguish between what is real and what isn't? But even that's the... I mean, do you remember Do you remember 9-11? And at one point they thought five planes, six planes had gone missing. More, and there were, there were, I remember being in um, at work and they were, people were saying on the radio they thought even 25 planes were missing because they just didn't know. So people were panicking and misreporting but not willingly deceiving. So even... Inaccurate. And there's, there is a difference there, isn't there? And also, you know, you could get very statistical and say, well, what's your deviation from the norm? <laughs> it's easier, frankly, to remember a quarter than it is 2300s. I mean, how many times no. do you hear a radio presenter give the wrong time check? Happens all the time. Is that fake news? Not on this show. <laughs> this is a, a brilliant Neil Diamond track, Brother Loves Travelling Salvation Show. It's just got everything. And I just, it just felt kind of appropriate for the conversation, even though this is, it's about religion rather than politics. Let's go. Half the valley. 
yourself two good hands. And when your brother is trouble, you gotta reach out your one hand for him. Cause that's what it's there for. And when your heart is trouble, you gotta reach out your other hand. Reach it out to the man up there. Cause that's what he's there for. Take my hand in yours. Walk with me this day. It's hard not to feel inferior to others in this digital age, as social media has created an impression that everyone is having the best time of their lives. This resentment at seeing happy images posted on social media platforms contributes to poor mental health, especially in developing countries such as Indonesia, according to research conducted by three Indonesian scholars. Indonesia is the world's fourth largest Facebook using country with 54 million users. Meanwhile, Twitter is said to have 22 million Indonesian users, making it the fifth largest Twitter using country. The research, which was published in the Journal of Mental Health and Addiction, analyzed data from the Indonesia Family Life Survey 2014, which involved 22,423 individuals aged 20 and older in 9,987 households in 297 districts in Indonesia. Based on the research, social media use is said to harm adult mental health, as the findings showed an increase of one standard deviation in adult use of social media, which is associated with a 9% increase in the depression scale score according to the Center for Epidemiological Studies. The study discovered that social media highlighted the country's high levels of inequality, creating envy and feelings of resentment. With that in mind, the Global Development Institute researcher Gindo Tampubolon said, it's a strong reminder that these technologies can have a downside. We would like to see public health officials think creatively about how we can encourage people to take a break from social media or to be aware of the negative consequences it can have on mental health. Okay, let's have some conversation please, thank you. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. Well, I hope you're all sitting comfortably at home. And uh, we're here in the studio at Colne Radio here at Wyvern Hotels, fourth floor. Um, and we're with our last very special guest, Jill Ball. And we've been talking about social media. And uh, generally, the controversy... Yes, well, um, it's about control, really, and sanction, because um, clearly there's uh, social media can be a force for the good. We uh, can get some very articulate responses to uh, the recent election results. Um, it can be very informative. But on the drive on um, some complex is issues... Uh, not uh, followed through often um, in terms of uh, reality. There's no, and sometimes um, the actual uh, uh, where the uh, opposition could say you didn't answer that question. Well, he had answered that mm. question earlier. 
So I think my 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 concern would be about um, sanction. Um. I think it's a really difficult question because you start to kind of veer into the kind of realms of freedom of speech, don't you? And so, you know, I was remembering, you know, in the film um, Cry Freedom and um, there's a scene with Steve Biko, I think, where he says, you know, I, I, I don't agree with, you know, apartheid, but I uh, uphold any really difficult thing. And I think the challenge with, with the internet now is that you can see what happens. I mean, I think we heard earlier from Adrian when he was talking about the Indonesian government shutting down social media for 24 hours. That's horrific. You know, do we want that response? On the other hand, is freedom of speech real anyway? Because just because you, you know, we obviously we have sanctions about, um, you know, abuse, um, sort of racial abuse. And we've just had um, the, the Equalities Act's just been kind of challenged again, kind of kept track this week. But yeah. so... I don't know that sanction and control over what people say is easy, but certainly if you think about the amount of abuse that people get on social media, the police do take action when people overstep the mark, but the police have not yet taken action over people misrepresenting to do that. I don't know. And that, that's what I was going to come back to you on, because it's, yeah. it's that thing you talk, what sanction is there on them? They just say what they want, there's, there's no comeback, nobody, they're taken on, they're challenged, but to no avail. Um, there's certainly no recourse in law for... Literally waiting for Boris Johnson to put his signature on it. Nobody can make it. There is no sanction in law to make it happen. Yeah. So, and yet... And that report's vital as to, to what we're talking about. Yeah, and yet sure. you say in another sphere of life when people are using, um, making, making religious or possibly political comments elsewhere in the world, sanction is most definitely imposed. I think the Indonesian one, on the other hand, is quite interesting because with the data Adrian just came out with, you could say that the Indian, Indonesian government acting on behalf of the health and well-being of their population were right to close down, you know, come back on that one. Okay. Um, on your phone, you can mute any of your social media you can suspend your accounts and we're all adults what is also really clear is that people get like the dopamine hit from you know you're a chemist they like the dopamine hit from the likes that they get on their post you know they put a post up and then people start commenting or they start liking or even better someone shares your post and that's really powerful whether you're you know, Jill Ball sat at home on her sofa being a bit of a keyboard warrior, or whether I'm doing just visited to boost the economy of the town, you know. So when someone likes and shares that post, personally, you get a hit from it in the same way that you do when you have a bar of chocolate. So, but if you don't, so you can withdraw from that if you want yeah. to, you can decide not to partake. But if you haven't got the muscle structure of a particularly young man, um, advertising a particular brand of jeans or you don't have the curves in those images and those strap lines from the advertisers are... As advert of the 1980s with Nick Kamen getting in that bath, you know, and, you know, maybe you three gentlemen use, don't remember it, but I do. I, I do remember it, but I was... Rightly or wrongly, have always used the female or the male body to sell product. Always. And that's never going to change. I think there's a lot... A better discussion now. I mean, when I was growing up, um, being it was all about putting on the right lipstick, wearing the right clothes, so you could pull that decent guy down the road, the one you winked at you on the street. Now, the conversation that people is and the way that people can feel about themselves, but there's also a lot better dialogue about it because people are a lot more aware. So I think we are more aware of some of the consequences of these things as individuals. It is healthier than maybe it was because. Uh uh, if ordinary people is the right term, people who have, um, feel they've been uh, disenfranchised by um, where they live or, or the job's going, um, uh, uh, they feel look into perhaps um, to, to whatever messages are coming across. Yeah, and I think people have always been vulnerable to those messages, haven't they? Mm. You know, if you look at the rise of people like Mosley in the 30s, that it was the same. There's, no, there's nothing new about populism and the, and the way that populists who seek yeah. to, to take power control and subvert the population. It's what well, I'm reading that, um, that Germany um, 
leads the way with cautionary authority in terms of... Uh, uh, I beg your pardon? Historical, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, uh, as in Berlin, you, you, you can't get away from what happened before. They don't hide the Holocaust. It's, it's there as, mm. as a reminder where, where people got shot trying to cross the wall and that history is so important it mm. shouldn't happen again. So, the classic, how, how is it used and by whom? But I, I bet it doesn't stop their politicians using it. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, you're still going to get manipulation, I would imagine. Mm. It's, it's happening okay, everywhere. Though. It's happening everywhere, isn't it? I think we, we've gone down a, a path of a rather depressing path. I think we need to cheer ourselves up. Jill, you need to cheer us up with the, with the next song. Well, it's got to be ABBA, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. As more and more Indonesians turn to social media for their daily news intake, political parties and interest groups have unsurprisingly attempted to influence people via these platforms. Like in other countries in the region, much of the everyday discourse on this issue adopts the language of war. Social media has been weaponized by online armies and cyber troopers. Indeed, a global study by the Oxford Internet Institute's researchers has identified a rising tide of bots and paid fake social media accounts commissioned to spread disinformation. In Indonesia, black campaigns, as they are called, based on libelous or outright fake material, are increasingly generated and spread online, as shown by the recently exposed hoax news factory called Saracen.
Cracking down on disinformation factories like Saracen is one thing, but not all disinformation spread via social media is done via paid Facebook advertising or Twitter bots. Much of the material is shared by ordinary citizens themselves, aided by the increasing popularity of chat apps like WhatsApp and Telegram. Indeed, a focus on the channels for distributing disinformation leads policymakers away from addressing the more fundamental problems that make Indonesian voters targets for hoax news in the first place, and that is declining trust in democratic leadership and mainstream media, combined with low levels of digital literacy. Listening to Red Button with special guest Jill Ball. Well, we're fast approaching the end of the show. We've been talking about social media, and and, and it's all got a bit sort of uh, dark, really. We want to be positive. So what we said is we're going to. Um, well, we just very quickly mentioned that um, you, the Cohen radio listener, cannot afford to bring Mr. Cohen over from in- Indonesia twice a week, so we settle for once a week, and the rest of the time we communicate with him by WhatsApp to put this show on. So there's something... find, um, as I'm getting younger, or possibly older, um, sometimes names uh, uh, disappear or you can't get them immediately, so... Um, I can uh, put the phone under the bed covers or uh, just when I go to the toilet, I can look up um, the uh, name of the person I'm looking for. Some more interesting <laughs> yeah. and happy. Also, well, uh, Somewhat more rounded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's cheating, but is that is that ah. a positive cheat or a negative cheat, Is that cheat, cheating or learning something new about the world or oh, people? Oh, eh? oh, now, that's, eh? if, that's if your phone understands the clue, of course. <laughs> so, Jill... Jill, what would you say is a, a you know a wonderful positive use of the positive of uh, social media? Information sharing, but also we've got friends all over the world, and Facebook particularly is a brilliant, brilliant way of staying in touch with so many people. You know, I couldn't afford a call to North Carolina or to um, sort of North uh, Queensland or to China every every week. So the fact is, I can keep in touch with loads and loads of mates. Yeah, yeah, great. that is wonderful. That is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to find out something that has worried me for years, that eternal question of how many people, as we speak, are not standing on a planet Earth, which I ask about every three months on the show. <laughs> how many people, as we speak, are in the air? And, the, and, and social media has told me. And I'm not yeah. going to tell you how many it is, but it's to say that. Yes, yeah, great. What is this last piece of music, Joe? This is Alicia Keys' New York, and it's just fabulous. And I like how it sort of alludes to the Sinatra classic as well. It's brilliant. It's so, so much been for a joy me. to have you. And uh, this is Alicia Keys.
This is Red Button, Wise and Right on Radio with only Adrian for a trial period. Having finally been able to elbow my way out of their shadows, I thought it might be nice to talk a little bit about Bill and Ian. Being the current bee's knees at all, they get to drive around together in a Cone Radio Company car. Well, it's more like a van, really. It's a 1978 comma van with a 1500cc Hillman engine. It's the same colour as a cowpat after a week in the sun, and it doubles up as the Cone Radio Mobile Broadcast Unit. Which means that at any moment, Bill and Ian can be called on to broadcast live here on 106.6 FM. Such is the ever so slightly baffling risenness of their rising star here at Cone Radio Towers. Although Bill and Ian are ready and willing to step in and help out, if the powers that be should so wish it. So what can I say about my colleagues Bill and Ian? Well, one of the reasons they are said to work so well together is because they are so different. Ian told me once that when he's having a dinner party on his back patio in the summer, he'll put out bowls of vinegar water with sugar in them to attract wasps. By contrast, Bill once told me about how he likes to make sure he makes his bed really well on work days, so that if things go really pear-shaped later in the day, he will always have that achievement early in the morning to look back on, and then... On the weekends, he breaks that routine to accentuate the sense of liberation. And there you have it. Ian epitomised by a bowl of drowned wasps, and Bill epitomised by his house being a real tip whenever I go round there on the weekends. Ian will absolutely insist that his dinner guests eat an apple after a meal that was heavy on the garlic because it will prevent horrendous garlic breath. If you turn that apple down, mark my words, you don't get invited again. Bill, on the other hand, says that if you need to stop yourself from vomiting, you should eat a mint or chew some minty gum. He swears by it. That's why when there's a dinner party round at his place, There are bowls of minty sweets all over the place. Another thing that Ian does is, when he's at a social event, he always holds his drink in his left hand. That way, his right hand isn't going to be cold or wet when he shakes hands with people. Now, by contrast, albeit with a similar concern for the welfare of others, Bill keeps his cigarette hanging out of his mouth all the time when he's walking around at a social event 
because when he used to hold it in his right hand, he'd so often give the people he met such terrible burns on their fingers and hands. With Ian, when he's sorted out his guest list for one of his soirees, he lets everyone know who the other guests are going to be so that they can all get their heads in the right place for specific conversations and be ready to ask each other really good questions. He'll even propose certain topics. Last time I was round there, the topic was what was the worst year in history to be a human? The answer is 536 AD, of course. Not everyone agreed, but it was great fun. Bill, on the other hand, if he's inviting some awful person to one of his dinner parties because of some office politics or promotion thing that he's hatching, he never tells us ahead of time because he knows we won't come and so there won't be a drop of alcohol in his house except for his homemade beer which he makes in a shed at the bottom of his garden. Unfortunately, it doesn't travel well. Production for Cone Radio.